We're, we're going to spend the next 25, 30 minutes in the Bible. We, we do this because we love God's Word. We love His Word because in His Word we can know God. We can understand the cross and forgiveness of sin that we just sang about, that we just prayed about. We, we love God's Word because it tells us the truth about us. It changes us. It makes us wise. It gives us a blueprint for life. Um, but... But no one in here is an expert in in the Word. So if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you struggle about what you hear tonight, about Christianity in general, or or questions or doubts that you've had, then don't struggle alone. Find find one one of us um, leaders here of RUF, either the staff or or student leaders, and know that we'd love to to talk with you about that. Let's jump right into God's Word. A wise Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper once said these words, there's not a square inch on the whole plane of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not proclaim, it is mine. Listen to that again. There's not a square inch on the whole plane of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not proclaim, this is mine. And we, see, we sing songs that, that kind of go in parallel to that. We sing, this is my father's world. We sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. And, and what those two songs, what that, that quote of Kuiper are getting at is that God is Lord over all. He's the sovereign over the universe and all that happens in it. He reigns and he rules with wisdom and justice and might. And that doesn't mean that he rules in a deterministic way where we're just pre-programmed robots. No, he uses our thoughts, our desires, our actions to accomplish his good purposes. And so our choices, our actions matter. And God uses them to work out his good and his holy designs. We're going to see all of this at work in the story of Naomi and Ruth. Before we jump into chapter two of Ruth, we started in chapter one last week. So let me, let me kind of catch you up. If you weren't here or if you forgot what happened, here's where we are in the story. Naomi and her husband moved from the promised land to Moab because of a famine. They had two sons there in Moab. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died in those years that they were in Moab. The sons married two Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth. And then the sons died. Naomi looked at her daughters-in-law and told them, go back to your families. She was going to go back to Bethlehem in the promised land. And so Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, left, and she did. She went back to her family. But Ruth stayed because she had come to know and come to believe in the God of Israel. And so those two widows, Naomi and Ruth, returned with nothing and no future. Or was there? (laughs) Yes, yes. Listen, we're going to start to see in Ruth chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, follow along with me, or you can look at the screen behind me. 
I'm going to read the whole. It's kind of a long passage. We'll come back and talk about some of the highlights, but I think it all goes really nicely together, so I'm not going to break it up like I did last week. Here we go. This is God's word, and it's for our good. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the, happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law there. You can see God's fingerprints all over this story, can't you? I want to look at three things in particular that stand out from this chapter. First, the providence of God. Second, the protection of God. And then third, the abundance of God. So the providence of God, the protection of God, and the abundance of God. Let's start with the providence of God. Look back at the beginning of the chapter. Ruth, widowed, poor, and hungry, leaves Naomi for the day, who Naomi also widowed, poor, and hungry. Ruth leaves her to to go work in the fields to gather grain. And and how is it that Ruth could just show up in a field and start gleaning in some random person's field? God's word had allowed for this. As part of God's law, all the way back in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, God commanded landowners to not harvest the whole of their fields. They were to leave a margin around their fields. That margin was to be unharvested so that the poor could come and harvest in that margin. God provided for the poor and needy because he cares about the poor and needy. It's not going to be the point or the focus of what we talk about tonight, but I think for those of us who say we believe in God, we trust in God, and we want to follow God, I think that matters. I think that would be our heart for the poor, the needy, the marginalized, the outcast, the outsider, whether it's in this room, on this campus, or in our city. That's God's heart. It should be our heart. And did you notice that Ruth just happens to end up in the field of Boaz, who was a, a relative of Naomi's late husband? The narrator doesn't want you to miss this because Boaz's name is mentioned at least 10 times in these 23 verses. And when she mentions, or when the narrator mentions it in verse 4, they even kind of make it stick out with a behold. When there's a behold in Scripture, it's like throwing a spotlight on what's about to come. It's whoever's telling that story saying, don't miss this. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. It's like the narrator was saying, keep your eyes, keep your eyes on this Boaz. He matters. He's going to be important as we unfold this story. So none of this happened by coincidence or by chance. It was not fate that brought Ruth to Bethlehem. It was not coincidence that Ruth ended up on the property of Boaz. It was not chance that brought Boaz to his fields on this day. God was doing this. God was the one at work. This was God providing for Ruth and Naomi. It's what we call God's hand of providence. God's hand of providence. So what is God's providence? Here's my short answer. Providence is God's ordering of all things according to his good plan. God's ordering of all things according to his good plan. There are better definitions out there that I want to share with you, at least one that goes into a little more detail. This is from uh, 
uh, a system of theology we call the Heidelberg Catechism. And when, when it explains what God's providence is, here's what it says, and I've got it for you. I think it's going to be up here soon. Keep going. There it is. Here we go. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So why do we need to know this? The very next question in this catechism actually asks that question. Basically, I put it in my own words. So why do we need to know this? And again, I think the answer is good. So here we go. We need to know this so we can be, there's another, yeah, okay. (laughs) So we can be patient in adversity. I need to hear that. Joe's been dealing with this leg and back thing for like two weeks, and I am chomping at the bed to go. Might have played dodgeball last night. Oh my God. <laughs> Who's to say? So we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. That's God's providence, and that's why it matters. Up to this point, it would be fair to say that Naomi and Ruth's lives were not going according to plan, right? At least their plan. But they were going according to God's plan. He was firmly in control. And he was working all things together for their good. 300 years before, get your head around this, 300 years before when God gave the law to Moses, he was providing for them and a whole lot of other people, but including Ruth and Naomi, God was providing. And now in the fields of Boaz, God was providing because God is a God of providence. And he is a God of providence for all his people including the ones in this room tonight, including you and me, God is a God of providence for us. Life may not be going according to your plan. In fact, I would bet it probably isn't because you're a broken person in a broken world and things rarely go according to plan when those two things are at play. But listen to me, you can trust that God is working all things, all things together for good. You can have, to steal the words from the Heidelberg Catechism, you can have the firm confidence in your faithful God and Father that no creature, nothing 
can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the providence of God. But we also see in chapter 2 the protection of God. We see God's care and protection over Naomi through the agency, through the, the actions of Boaz. More toward the middle of the section, verses 8 through 13. So I'm just going to pick several of the phrases or sentences. Boaz came and he said to Ruth, do not glean in another field. Keep close to my young women. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink. Through Boaz, God was caring for a very vulnerable Ruth. And Ruth knew she was weak and needy and vulnerable. She knew she needed the Lord and his protection. And that was evident in her life. Did you see what Boaz, who barely knew her at this point, did you see what Boaz said when he spoke to her? Look, look back at verse 12. One of the, it's just a beautiful verse in this story. The Lord repay you. He's, this is Boaz speaking to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now listen to this. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Barely knew her. And yet that was evident. That she had taken shelter under the wings of God. Many of us, my, myself, chief among you, struggle with the sin of self-sufficiency. We rarely go to God because deep down we don't believe we need God. In day-to-day -day life, we believe we, we got this. I got this. Yeah, I'll, I'll turn to God if and when something catastrophic happens, but until then, I, I got this. And, and so we end up living as functional atheists, as if God isn't even there. It's a subtle form of pride. And pride is really, really dangerous because it blinds us to its existence. Did you hear that? Pride is most dangerous because it blinds us to its existence. Because here's the truth. Here's the reality about you and about me. We cannot live a day, not even a moment, outside of God's care and protection. Mm -hmm. You need the Lord. You and I are weak and vulnerable beyond what we can imagine. Let me ask you all this question. I do want to hear answers. So, so go ahead and speak up. What are the hardships or attacks that, that regularly come your way? Like what are the hardships, the, the, the attacks that you feel on a regular basis? Thoughts on that? Go ahead, Jerry. Well, is there, am I going to have a seizure today? Okay. Yeah. Given your particular medical situation, yeah. Am I going to have a seizure today? And am I going to get out of it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's got to be very real. 
Yeah, Ethan, what about you, man? Lies. Lies. What, what kind of... Yeah. Even in our own heads, right? Like, I tell myself all kinds of garbage. What about, what about any of you others? Insecurity. Insecurities. Yeah, I mean, that kind of, I mean, for me at least, a lot of the lies come, come from my insecurities. Inadequacy. Inadequacies. That goes right fear. with the fear. Doubt. Doubt. Anxiety. Anxiety over all manner of things. Here's a list I came up with. The attacks from within. The lies I believe about myself, my insecurities, my pride that blinds me, my sin that enslaves me, my shame that suffocates me. Or or what about the attacks from without, the accusations of others, harm and betrayal, conflict, misunderstanding, suffering for what you believe, war, injustice, sickness, death. Here's one I don't think much about. What about attacks from the enemy, Satan? Mm -hmm. The Bible, the New Testament tells us that he prowls around looking for someone to devour. Mm -hmm. And, And all of those, whether it's from within, without, or Satan himself, all of those have power to rock our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And so where will you go? when those attacks come? Where's your hope when life gets too big? Listen to these words from Psalm 62. Really want this to to be where we go. I want this to be the beat of our heart. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And and consider one more thing. Hasn't God protected you from the greatest danger you could face, period? Here's what I mean by that. Your sin deserves God's just and eternal judgment. It does. But God did something about that. God sent his son to die on a cross, to take that judgment for people like you and me, sinners like you and me. So here's what that means. Jesus died in your place. If he would do that to protect you from the judgment of God, won't he protect you and care for you in the day-to-day attacks you experience? Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. God is our protector. Turn from your pride and come and live 
under the shadow of his wings. Providence of God, the protection of God, and now the abundance of God. As I look at the last few verses in our text here, I love all the extras Boaz throws in. Did did you notice those? He invites Ruth in from the field to sit at the dinner table. I I don't know, like the the text doesn't say there's a dinner dinner table out there in the field, but I I imagine that that Boaz sets up a dinner table for all his workers. And and we do know this, Ruth was invited to, to whatever that was. He didn't have to do that. She was invited to enjoy bread and wine and roasted grain. And I don't know if you caught this, but she ate until she was full and she even filled a doggy bag. (laughs) She was allowed to harvest among the sheaves, not just the margins. I don't know if you caught that. He said, let her her go ahead and, and, and harvest there among the sheaves. And then, I don't know if you saw this, he had some of his workers pull out some, dropping hundreds everywhere. Let, let her go ahead and pick those up. And she went away with an ephah, 30 to 50 pounds of barley. So to, to, to make that in real terms, so if you have a dog, like that's one of the big dog bags, like of food, dog food bags. Suckers are heavy. When that box comes from Chewy, man, that's a, that's a. And Ruth was carrying that home. One hand, doggy bag in the other. And she took what was left over to feed Naomi. And there was enough for Naomi to eat. Can you picture the look on Naomi's face when Ruth showed up with all of this? In fact, you can hear it in her voice. Where were you? Like, naturally, she wanted to know where Ruth had been and where she got all this stuff. And as Ruth told her about Boaz, you can almost hear Naomi stopping her and with a gleam in her eyes saying, Boaz, he's a good boy, Ruthie. Boaz, he's a good boy. You can, you can feel the, the story turning, can't you? It's turning here, and the narrator wants you to feel that. It's not by accident. Despite all the sorrow and suffering we've seen in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, God is showing himself to be a God of abundant, abundant grace. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes God's abundant grace to us from Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy that God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you know how much immeasurable is? You don't. (laughs) Thus, the adjective immeasurable. Kidding aside, 
that's how much we have in Christ. And then Ephesians 3, Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses, surpasses, <laughs> surpasses knowledge. Listen, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Years ago, Terry and I went to an all-inclusive resort near Cancun. This is our 15th, I know, swanky, right? 15th anniversary. Big spender. We got there. We got there and we're in line at the resort at the front desk to register. And as we waited, a guy comes around with drinks for us. I declined because I wasn't about to pay $8 for ice cubes, two, two ounces of drink, and a mini umbrella. So we checked into our room, we got our suits on, we went to hang out by the pool. There was a snack bar by the pool, it served pizza, tacos, burgers, more drinks. And again, Joe Slater was not gonna be ripped off after paying all this money for an all-inclusive resort. It wasn't until sometime the second day that I noticed people would walk up, order stuff, and just walk away. No payment of any kind. <laughs> it was then that I realized what all-inclusive meant. <laughs> I was living out of a poverty mentality when an abundance was provided. <laughs> Paid for, even. And don't we do this with God? Mm -hmm. We fixate on what we don't have rather than what we do have. We live with a poverty mentality because we don't believe he's good or we don't believe he cares or we don't believe he can. And none of those are true. There's nothing he cannot do. He cares for you in such a way that not a hair falls from your head apart from the will of your Father in heaven. In Christ, you have all that you need. Every spiritual blessing, immeasurable riches of his grace, filled to all the fullness of God. So why do we live like paupers when God has given us plenty? And listen, Disclaimer, I'm not suggesting life in Christ is all rainbows and unicorns. It's not. But I am absolutely suggesting that because of what God has done for us in sending his son, we have all the peace, comfort, joy, love, grace, resources, etc. that we need to live life in this world. Because God is a God of abundance. I want to finish with this thought. <clears throat> Back in Moab, Ruth made a difficult choice. She chose to leave everything to follow God. There was no guarantee of new friends, of prosperity, or of a husband. She had no idea making that choice how things were going to turn out. 
But listen, she did know God. The God who provides, the God who protects, and the God who gives in abundance. And that was enough for her. Do you know this God? And is he enough for you? Ruth staked her life on that. Will you stake your life on that? It's the same God. Will you trust him? He provides, he protects, and he gives in abundance. Let's pray. Father, your word is so good. We're so humbled by your love for us, your grace to us, all that you have provided in Christ. Forgive us that we forget that. Forgive us that we forget that over and over and over again. Lord, turn us from our pride, turn us from our complaining ways, turn us from our poverty mentality and help us to see, help us to love, help us to worship you for all that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would come to him tonight. Whether this is the first time or the hundred and first time, Lord, would we all come to Christ and find your grace to be abundant there. Lord, work in our hearts, work in our lives, and then go, Lord, make us a people who go in your grace, who are a people of grace to everyone that we, we encounter. And would, would our neighbors know more of you because we're being made like you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.